good to have you with us on Red Barn Radio. I'm Brad Becker. Tonight we begin the 21st season of Red Barn Radio, and we welcome you to show number 788. Tonight on Red Barn Radio, the first of our 21st season, we are pleased as could be to have with us two multi-talented artists, John Haywood and Riley Boggess. Just one of the things each of these guys does expertly is play the open back banjo. Riley Boggess is a North Carolina native and experienced welder who doesn't have the time he once had to practice that trade because he's busy now teaching and performing all over the country. Raised not only in a hotbed region of roots music, but also in a home rife with traditional Appalachian music with a family who attended a regular Baptist church where singing was unaccompanied. Riley was playing fiddle and guitar in his elementary school years and then making his first banjo with his dad when he was 12. John Haywood grew up in Floyd County, Kentucky, surrounded by family, aunts and uncles, and mostly older boy cousins who worked out their energy on sports and roughhousing. John gravitated to art in the form of painting and drawing. Heavy metal music grabbed the attention of his middle school brain, and then his parents got him a guitar at age 12. John's journey is a really fascinating one, especially what brought him to the banjo and then back to the mountains in Knott County where he lives now with his wife and kids and also owns and operates a tattoo shop in Whitesburg. Please welcome John Haywood and Riley Boggess. John and Riley. Thanks to WEKU, Red Barn Radio's official radio partner, NPR for Central and Eastern Kentucky. Listen online at WEKU.org. Red Barn Radio is presented with the financial support of LexArts, Lexington, Kentucky's premier cultural development, advocacy, and fundraising organization. LexArts, working for the development of a strong and vibrant arts community as a means of enhancing the quality of life in Central Kentucky and by Visit Lex, Lexington, Kentucky's Convention and Visitors Bureau. Planning to visit Lexington or just looking for more information? Visit Lex is on the web at visitlex.com. Our guests this evening are Riley Boggess and John Haywood. They are two guys who know and appreciate each other. They've played together and also know the history of their instruments and the tunes they play and sing. We're so glad to have them both here to share their music with you tonight and to kick off our 21st season of Roots Music Southern Style on Red Barn Radio, Riley Boggess. I've always been a big Doc Boggs fan. Doc Boggs just always had that sound that really really did it for me when I was a kid, when I was a young young player, and, and I always loved his songs, especially his really dark, lonesome ones. Fifteen years, there's a little black train coming. 
get your business right. There's a little black train coming, and it may be here tonight. back to that time when you made that banjo with your dad. You're talking about like sixth grade, right? I had started taking violin in school because well, I was in the fifth grade, actually. I was 10 years old. They started offering strings in our school system. Well, being a country kid, I didn't realize that you could play any kind of music on a, on a fiddle except country music. So I thought they were going to teach me to be a fiddler. Well, I soon discovered that Dvorak's Slavonic Dances is not what I had signed on for. Uh-huh. But I went anyway and enjoyed it. Then I saved my money that summer, and I, I bought a guitar. I bought it out of the Sears and Roebuck catalog, just like old-time musicians supposed to do. I thought that's what you did. You ordered your guitar from the Sears and Roebuck catalog, and, you know, you're ready to go. But then I wanted a banjo. That's what I really wanted was a banjo. So my daddy said, well, I can't afford to buy you one. He said, and you don't have any money left because you bought that guitar, so Whoops. let's make you one. I said, all right. So we took a look at that old Foxfire book, Foxfire number three. <laughs> Started looking to see what they were like in there and didn't really have any of that figured out. My dad took two pieces of plywood and a piece of molding. He cut out two circles in this plywood and tacked this molding all around it. We had a, a sound chamber. We didn't have sound hole technology figured out yet, though. <laughs> 
It was like an electric guitar without an amplifier. But when you're just learning how to play an instrument, that's not such a bad thing for everybody else living in the house with you. <laughs> in my hand, hold ashes. In my veins, black pitch run. In my breast, fire catches. In my way, that setting sun. It's the last pale light in the west. It's the last pale light in the west. It's that last pale light in the west. It's the last pale light in the west. Dark clouds gather around me. Due northwest, soul is bound. Still I go on head free. There's a light yet to be found. It's the last pale light in the west. It's the last pale light. In this cold, barren place, still I see the faint reflection. So by it, I'll guide my way to that last pale light in the west. To that last had some old three-quarter inch pine boards laying around there and we sawed out sort of the shape of a banjo neck and my dad took his pocket knife and he had me go get a stick of maple stove wood off of the wood pile and he carved me out some tuning pegs to go in it and that's what I started learning to play the banjo on and I played that banjo for a couple of years before graduating to one of those good K's made in Taiwan. You make banjos now yourself. Do you Sort of go back to that time watching your dad make that banjo with you? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> back then, we didn't really know how they worked. And after several years, I got to see and hold and play a lot of different kinds of banjos from the uh, late 
19th century and all the 20th century mm. instruments. And, and so you start thinking about all the qualities of those instruments that you like. If you're going to make an instrument, you start thinking about all the ones you played and what you liked about them so that you can see if you can figure out making your instrument sound like all those, uh. all wrapped into one. And that was sort of the formula that I used. I liked this sound about that one and this sound about that one and tried to figure out what made them all sound or sound the way I wanted them to sound. So I sort of settled on a way of making them. It seems to work out so far. They work.
a welder before you started doing banjos. I was. I was a welder and blacksmith for 18 years. That's what I did for a living. I was fortunate to be able to, to be in a welding shop with a guy who was a huge advocate of travel. If I had the opportunity to go and travel and play music somewhere, he was behind me. He'd give me time off. I had use of all the tooling in our shop. So I was able to make arms for my banjos so I could mm. make rim forms and I could make clamps and uh, strap clamps and things to, to build my rims with. And I used to make the tension hoops. I made them all out of stainless steel. So I would heliarch those together or TIG weld those things together in the welding shop. So I had, had everything I needed right there. He was cool with me doing it on company time. Just, oh, I love you know, that. Working on my stuff. I was making about 20 a year, and then the pandemic hit, and I thought, well, I'm going to have so much more time to build banjos. And I, I have lots of people who have asked me for banjos, but then the pandemic hit, and I, I started doing lessons online. And you then mean? there were all these online festivals happening. So I was actually playing about as much, if not more, during the pandemic as I was before. So all the traveling was out. I was at home a lot more, but I was doing a lot more playing because I was teaching all day. Workshops and Workshops, things like that. Workshops, camps, you know, week-long camps where you have, you have a three-hour-a-day sure. intensive class or whatever. Uh, or I would do a one-on-one -on -one in person with somebody occasionally, but I didn't do anything online. And, and now it's, it's amazing how everybody knows how Zoom works and, and how, to, you know, how to get online and, and teach. And they know that there's a lag, so you can't really play together if you want to hear each other. Uh -huh. you know, everybody's sort of got that figured out.
Yes, I'm gone and I won't be back. If you don't believe me, you count my tracks. Nothing but I'm bound to roam. Water bound and I can't get home. So say my name and don't forget. Cause the water still ain't got me yet. Nothing but I'm bound to roam. Water bound and I can't get home. Yes, I'm gone and I won't be back If you don't believe me, count my tracks The river's long and the river's wide I see you boys on the other side So say my name and don't forget The water still ain't got me yet Nothing but I'm back What do you learn from teaching a novice? You learn a lot of patience. You learn to remember what it was like when you didn't know what you were doing. You learn to slow down and think your way through things in a different way. Patience is a hard thing to come by when you know how to do something and you think someone else should be able to do it. In reality, nobody knows how to do anything when they first start. But then the other thing is that Adults especially, I don't have this problem with kids, but adults are always embarrassed when they come into one of those class situations because they feel like they should already know how to do it, even though they're novices. They've never touched the instrument, but they, they're embarrassed because they can't do it right away. And, and I always have to remind them, well, you know, if you already knew how to do it, you wouldn't be sitting here with me. Uh-huh. We wouldn't be doing this class. You learn how to help build people's confidence, and you learn how to exercise your own patience. And what do kids learn from you in terms of your philosophy of approaching an instrument and approaching music and practice and those sorts of things? Well, I wish they'd learned a lot more about the practice part. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I teach a kid's class over in Eden, North Carolina, just a couple of counties away in Rockingham County. It's the home <laughs> county for Charlie Poole. Charlie Poole and the North Carolina Ramblers was a very popular and famous old-time band in the 1930s, and Charlie was from that area. And a lady has started a program called Piedmont Instrument Classes for Kids. Huh. And I go over there one day a week and teach, teach students from 3 o'clock to 8 o'clock on a Monday, 30 minutes each with no break in between them. Wow. We teach one, we run that one off, and another one in. Oh. <laughs> you know, and they do not like to practice. No. But some of them have learned really well how to play. I try to instill in them the idea that practicing is not what you need to do. What you need to do is play. If I can fool them into thinking that playing is playing and not practicing, then I get a lot more practicing out of them. (laughs) I do that with myself. I sit down and play the banjo. I don't practice things. Uh. I play. Because if I say, oh, I'm going to practice, it's amazing how many things around my house need doing.
Over yonder in the graveyard Where the wild flowers grow oh, There they lay My own true lover She's gone from me about round peak it's a funny name first of all most people say why is it round peak is it because of the way you hold your hand or this no round peak is a little mountain in surrey county north carolina that has a round peak the top of the mountain is round so they call it round peak imagine that and there's a community around that little mountain and that's the round peak community that's where this particular style is concentrated the musicians who lived around there played kind of this way. And, and there's one specific musician whose name was Charlie Lowe, who was a contemporary of Tommy Gerald's dad. They played together. Uh, Tommy Gerald's dad was Benjamin Franklin Gerald, who then named his son Thomas Jefferson Gerald. Um, <laughs> and then Thomas Jefferson Gerald then named his son Benjamin Franklin Gerald after his dad. It gets real deep, just like Round Peak, right? But the way these people played, it's, it's, it's how they how they approach the melodies.
We're back with more Red Barn Radio after this break. Red Barn Radio, roots music, southern style. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Red Barn Radio, recorded live from the Arts Place Performance Hall in Lexington, Kentucky. Red Barn Radio, roots music, southern style. Charlie Lowe is who we consider to sort of be the father of the modern style of round peak style. He did a lot of things. He did this thing, like he called it a double note. Where you strike a string, do a pull off, and then put your finger back and strike the string again. You know, that kind of thing. Um, uh, 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 that's not what I was trying to do. that sound and what that does is mimics the sound the the rhythm of the fiddle bow ah. so Charlie was was doing a lot of drop thumbing coming down and playing playing eighth notes with his thumb playing melody notes with his thumb where a lot of people would just really brush in that part he would add an, an extra note and he could do some double notes and drop that thumb and get get more melody without playing every note the fiddle played but he was just getting more, and he, he maintained the rhythm. Huh. The yeah. style tends to be very fiddle tune-based, fiddle tune-oriented. It's dance music. It's meant to dance to. Um, and still on Saturday nights down in that area, around Surrey County, North Carolina, up in Grayson County, Virginia, and Carroll County, Virginia, Floyd County, you can go to a different dance every Friday and Saturday night. Train on the island, stood by here to squeal. Go tell my true love I can't roll the wheel.
feel. Happy I do feel, Lord, happy I do feel. Talking with John Haywood. I never heard what you would even consider round peak style until I think I went to like a fiddler's convention for the first time. And I still never thought of it as like round peak. When I was first learning the banjo, you know, I was homesick. You know, I didn't start off learning the banjo. You know, I mean, I, I had to learn a lot of this old stuff growing up to learn, you know, how to sing and to learn like the guitar. I didn't gravitate to the banjo till I was in my 20s, actually. My friend Glenn Hensley, he's still around, but, the, but his shop isn't around anymore. It was called Lonesome Town Records, and it said Vintage Hillbilly Country Music and Bluegrass on the sign out front. And I said, well, I'm going to go in here huh. and check this guy out, you know. And, of course, he had all, you know, country music and all this stuff. You know, I didn't even know what old-time music was, I like, as far as, like, it being a genre of music. I thought like this old music was just the old music that people sang, you know. My papa was an old regular Baptist. They sang that unaccompanied style that, you know, they say comes from Ireland or whatever. I heard bluegrass music. I heard even, you know, what is old-time music, but I didn't think of it as that. I just thought it was our region's kind of music that people in the mountains played. Thank you. 
what it's like to be from East Kentucky is you feel very underprivileged, if that's the right word to say. We didn't have access to a lot of things. You know, when you grow up way out in the country, way up, you know, in the mountains, you're kind of isolated, you know. I mean, you, you're fairly well isolated as far as what's going on out in the rest of the world. And you're also bombarded with a lot of stereotypical imagery. And the banjo, unfortunately, was, uh, you know, kind of a symbol of that, kind of a symbol of, uh, you know, the dumb hillbilly, the ignorant inbred hillbilly, you know. So, you know, being from eastern Kentucky, any time I went outside of eastern Kentucky, you would get jokes about having running water. You know, we would get jokes about whether we wore shoes or not. You, you remember know? that as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. And, and even still, to the, when I went off to college, the way I talk, people automatically assume you're stupid, huh. you know. And you'll have people, like, and I've experienced these things where someone would even start talking over top of you. And it still happens today. I still get it today. These very days, I go someplace, and I tell someone I'm from eastern Kentucky, they assume the worst. So when you're a young person, you know, you kind of want to get away from that. You kind of want to show the world that being from eastern Kentucky, being from the country, is a lot more than that. A lot more than just people sitting on the porch playing the banjo, growing the gardens, you know. There's a deeper element there. I'm going across that cold icy mountain. I'm going across that cold icy
What I find so fascinating about the stories that you tell about your experience in the path that you took, you know, having left there mm -hmm. and gone to Louisville, or Moorhead, I guess, first, maybe, right. and then, then, Louisville. then Louisville for your sort of an advanced art degree. Graduate degree, yeah, graduate school. And then that point when you felt like it was time to return, it just seems like as you tell your story that it's like their music is informing your understanding of the place that you came from and and your artwork is informing your music and informing your understanding of nature and, and it seems like you had this sort of immerse like you've come to feel that immersion is the way that you learn. Riley mentioned it when he was talking about teaching these young students that won't practice, you know. I identify with what he said, I never thought about it that way. But, yeah, I never practice, but all, all the time want to play. And, and that's just with anything, really. I mean, I, I, I like to play music in general. I play a lot of different genres of music, you know. And growing up, I gravitated more towards heavy metal, that sort of stuff. And music for me was such a life-saving kind of thing. You know, where I grew up on the holler, it was related to everybody around me, you know. My aunt lived next door. My cousins lived up the street from there. And the second cousins, you know, everybody lived on that holler. And we all contributed in a lot of ways to different things, raising a garden, all that sort of stuff. But I had a lot of older, bigger cousins who were very more like sports inclined. Uh -huh. And we would play football and basketball, and they would just beat the crap out of me, you know. And they would just run <laughs> circles around me. You know, the one thing I had was, you know, so art and music was things I could do by myself yeah you know because i would walk away from a lot of those situations feeling like oh my gosh you know what good am i if i can't play football or whatever basketball and being tall everybody wanted me to play basketball you know everybody had this dream of sure. me you know when you're in kentucky it's bad you know music and art was just my way of kind of rebelling against a lot of things like uh, you know i wasn't big fan of you know, like, so when you think about bluegrass and folks who wear the big hats and the big belt buckles and the uh. big boots, you know, that, you know, those people, you know, I'm not, not to generalize people, but that just wasn't where I felt like I fit. Uh -huh. Same with the old regular Baptists. So if you, if you really think about it, 
You know, people will come and study the old regular Baptists because their singing is ancient, you know. Their beliefs are ancient, too. You know, like if you're a woman in that church, you can't cut your hair. Uh, you know, you have to wear a dress. You have to sit on a certain side of the church, and you don't get to participate, you know. My name is Jack Monroe. I am a guilty man. I shot and killed ten people in the foreign distant land. I had a loving sweetheart that died when she was young. That's when I started rambling, a carrying two big guns. While traveling through some cities, I came to a little town. I got into some trouble when I shot that police down. And if they ever catch me, my sins will be to hang. Cause I am an outlaw, I belong to an outlaw gang. play one that I that to me this is a Lee Sexton staple and uh, anytime I play out a couple of these old guys uh you know they they were friends you know they were good friends uh Lee one day actually mentioned to me how much he appreciated me playing learning his tunes and that when he was gone I'd keep playing them so playing with the Lee Sexton band you know I, I learned a lot Lee would keep you on his toes because he never did the same tune twice the same way the same order even sometimes but every once in a while we'd go play a set you know we'd get called to go you know play a set like for a group of people like a concert or something and uh, halfway through the concert you know we'd all have to go sit down for Lee to play a few of these old what he called these old cross key tunes on the banjo and this is just one one of my favorite ones to to play and it's a it's one a lot of folks are familiar with it's just that this is maybe even a different way of playing it than what you've heard.
lay down, boy. Take a little nap five more miles to the Cumberland Gap. Cumberland Gap, Cumberland Gap, way down yonder in the Cumberland Gap. Dewey Shepherd tunes. Oh, I like that. I like been liking playing Dewey Shepherd tunes there. They ain't out there enough. The name of the tune is called Snow White Shirt. Sailor Crow. 
What you do with your wife and kids? Son, come tell to me. I'll leave them here with you, dear mother, to keep you company. Oh, what will you do with your land and your lot? Son, come tell to me. I'll sell them here to you, dear mother, to send the money to me. Oh, son, when will I see you again? Son, come tell to me. I'll see you again in heaven, dear mother of God, ever sets me free. Thanks to WEKU, Red Barn Radio's official radio partner, NPR for Central and Eastern Kentucky. Listen online at WEKU.org. Red Barn Radio is presented with the financial support of LexArts, Lexington, Kentucky's premier cultural development, advocacy, and fundraising organization. LexArts, working for the development of a strong and vibrant arts community as a means of enhancing the quality of life in Central Kentucky and by Visit Lex, Lexington, Kentucky's Convention and Visitors Bureau. Planning to visit Lexington or just looking for more information? Visit Lex is on the web at visitlex.com. Red Barn Radio's executive producer is Ed Commons, who also directs our show. The Red Barn Radio playout theme, Wookie Foot, was taken from a live performance of the Wooks here on Red Barn Radio. More at wookoutamerica.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Kathy Stamps. Well, there are so many people to thank for our program tonight. First, Riley Boggess and John Haywood. First program of our 21st season. We're ever grateful for our volunteers and staff who make our production happen so beautifully each and every week. We want to thank all of you for listening to our webcast, watching us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch, and those listening to us on the network of Red Barn stations and media worldwide. Thanks to WEKU, Red Barn's premier radio partner, NPR for Central and Eastern Kentucky. Listen online at WEKU.org. It's your chance to hear more great live music from Red Barn Radio and WEKU, NPR for Central and Eastern Kentucky. Red Barn Radio comes to you from our home, the Arts Place Performance Hall in downtown Lexington, Kentucky. Our website has updates and further information on our guests and our program. We're on the web at Red Barn Radio.
Red Barn Radio, Roots Music, Southern Style. The best music from the roots of the South and sharing this music with the world.